Let's pray before I do anything else. Father, I want to thank you for your word and thank you that it um, always refreshes us and encourages us and washes us and that we become more and more like your son as we let your word transform us. And so my prayer, Lord, and already you've been doing much this morning. I thank you for the gentle presence of Jesus that we've been feeling right from the beginning. And I pray that you continue to speak to us through your word and that you would transform us to be more and more like Jesus. And so I ask that you'd help me to communicate well and um, that people might find freedom increasingly in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to Galatians again, uh, Galatians chapter 4. For those of you that are are visiting, just to give you a little bit of a background, um, we've been preaching, I've been preaching out of Galatians for the last six months. Um, Galatians is a book about Christian freedom. It's about what it means to be saved. It's about the joy of salvation. And I'm going to look this morning at uh, this portion from verse 8 to verse 20, which is a chunky portion, and I'm going to treat it in two halves. I'm going to do the first half this week and the second half next week, but we are going to read the whole portion in one go, right? Because it kind of flows together. So verse 8 of chapter 4 says this, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment or illness that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of the Lord, even as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you might make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So we've been looking at the life of Paul, uh, just a little refresher briefly. Remember, in about AD 44, the church is doing really well, there's lots of people getting saved, they're not just Jews any longer, they are now Gentiles. And Paul is in Galatia, in the, uh, Asia Minor, in a place called Antioch, and a lot of people that are not Jews are getting saved. And so this is a, presents a problem to the church, because... Um, These guys come into the church who are Judaizers and they say, actually, you must become Jewish to be a Christian. And Paul is challenging this, and we've been looking um, at this over the last six months. And And Paul lays out this clear argument to the people in Galatia. And he says in chapter two, the basis for us being made right with God, it's got nothing to do with our race, our culture, our moral code, our background, it is solely because of the righteousness of Jesus. As we believe on the righteousness of Jesus, that pleases God and we are saved. 
And so he establishes right at the beginning, that's the argument in chapter 2, um, that we are being made right, right with God through faith in Jesus and nothing else. And then he uses various arguments to reinforce that central thought. And he says in chapter 3, he says, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying rules and regulations and obeying the law of Moses? No, you didn't. You received the Holy Spirit purely when you believed on Jesus. And as a great blessing of God, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon you. So it's the first thing he says is that you receive the Holy Spirit by grace, not through any kind of work of your own. And then he uses the example, his primary witness for his example is Abraham, who was actually, it's a master stroke really, because Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile. And it says in Genesis 15 that he simply believed God, and because he believed God, he was saved. So do you know that Abraham was a Christian before Jesus even came? Because he believed in the promise, and the promise was concerning Jesus. And the scripture says, as he believed in the seed of the promise, which was Jesus, he was made righteous, and he was saved. And then he started walking by the Spirit, and God started to transform him, and change him, and shape his worldview, and change his whole future, and he became the father of the Jewish nation. But he lived by faith before anything else. And so then there's a problem that Paul has to address, and he says, well... I need to then speak about the law. Why did God allow the law to come through Moses? Didn't that just complicate stuff and make it very difficult for us? And I've spent a couple of weeks explaining that. Uh, if you don't, if you weren't here, please listen to the podcast if you would like to um, find out about that. And then we looked in the last couple of weeks uh, that the great blessing that we have, it's not that just that our sins are forgiven when we believe in Jesus, when we believe in the promise of God through Jesus, but we are adopted as sons. And that's a whole nother thing. That means we have the, every blessing that was due Jesus, we receive. And the inheritance that was Jesus's, we receive. And we are sons and heirs, full sons and full heirs of the promises of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's a whole different thing. And that's also, is part of being saved. That you're saved from your past, but yes, you have the most amazing future and glorious future in Jesus, and you become a son of the Most High God. This is incredible, and this is the gospel, and we need to understand both of those things. Not just that we saved or we set free from our past, but our future is the future of Jesus, because he is, he's bought that for us by his blood. It's amazing. This is the gospel, all right? And now in chapter 4, Paul slightly starts to do a different thing. He starts to appeal to the Galatians. He's kind of, he set the scene. We, we understand where he's coming from with his argument. And now he begins to appeal to the Galatians and say, don't go back in any way to the law. He starts appealing to them, saying, please, I'm begging you, don't go back to that which you have been saved out from. And basically what he says, he says that your joy is out at stake. How many of you need joy in your lives? Anyone here need joy? I need lots of joy in my life. I want to say straight up, if you want joy in your life, don't live a religious life. Don't try and live a moral, religious life by your own effort. That is just going to bring you under bondage. It's going to rob joy from your life. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying to these Jewish believers, you've had these guys come into the church, they've been trying to persuade you that you need to become Jewish, that you need to follow a moral code. I'm appealing to you, don't go back. Your joy is at stake. And I want to say to you this morning, if you know Jesus, don't go back to morality. Don't go back to a religious lifestyle. You will lose your joy. 
You will lose your joy and life will be a drudge. I want to say to you that uh, every religion, every pagan religion is tyrannical. And I want to say to you as a Christian that legalistic Christianity is also tyrannical. And so I'm not picking on other religions. I'm saying all religions that are legalistic, including Christians that are legalistic, that's a tyranny in your life. And it needs to be broken by the Holy Spirit. God called us to be free in Jesus, to be joyful in Jesus, to have a hope and a future that is free from every kind of uh, expectation that religion puts on us. That's joy. That's true joy, to be free on the inside. Rarely free on the inside. And that's what Paul is saying. I just want to make two introductory comments before I just uh, look at these verses in detail. The first, do you notice in verse 12 that Paul says, I became like you. How many of you would agree that our culture, our, our, our nation needs the gospel? That this nation desperately needs the gospel, the Western world desperately needs the gospel again. Paul says an amazing thing, and I want to say as an introduction, if we're going to learn to communicate the gospel effectively in our culture, we need to become culturally flexible. This is what I mean. Paul says, I became Like you. He's speaking to those people. I became like you. And we have to learn in our culture that the gospel is not determined by culture. I came as an immigrant into this nation 15 years ago. I had to unlearn some things from the culture that I grew up in that were not effective here. The gospel is not determined by your culture. And Paul is saying, if we are going to learn to communicate the gospel wherever we are, we have to become culturally flexible without in any way uh, compromising the gospel. Yeah? So, we've got to learn to do that. Can I just give you a little example off the top of my head? So, for example, drunkenness. The Bible is quite clear about about, um, alcohol. It, it, It doesn't say you mustn't consume alcohol. It's quite clear about drunkenness. It says, do not become drunk. Our culture doesn't have a problem with drunkenness. So we have to, we have to engage with our culture in, on an issue like alcohol and come alongside people that are drinking too much and if they are Christians, to say to them, you know, my, my friend, at this point, you are straying from the gospel in your life. That's what you're doing right now. If, you, if you're giving in to being drunk, There's nothing dignified for you in being drunk, and there's nothing dignified for people around you in being drunk. And right now, I don't want to poke fun at you. I don't want to make a joke of it and say, well, it's just being laddish. I want to help you to understand that at this point in your life, you're straying from the gospel. The gospel wants you to be free. You're in bondage to something right now in your life. Let me help you. Let me get alongside you as your friend and help you to see that this is not good for you. Are you with me? So we're engaging with the culture and saying, yeah, okay, we're engaging with the culture, but we are living as if this is not our world. We are part of the world, but this is not our final destination. Our final destination is in heaven with Jesus. Are you with me? So we, 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 we are flexible on cultural things, but we in no way compromise the gospel of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And he says, I became like you. And he says it again in 1 Corinthians 9, for example, verse 19. He says... Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And he carries on. He says, to the weak I became weak, 
to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so by any possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul is saying the same thing in a different way. He's not saying I'm compromising the gospel. He's saying I'm engaging with your culture. I'm learning to be like you so I can reach you in that context with the gospel. And so I'm encouraging you as believers, as you go into your workplace, as you teach, as you at university, as you are doing your trade, whatever it is, as you reach into your world, engage with that world, but don't compromise the gospel. The good news of Jesus. That's what Paul did, right? And I think one of the hallmarks of legalism and a legalistic mindset that focuses on doing the right thing to earn God's approval is that people become inflexible and they become obsessed with details. (laughs) That's a hallmark of legalism for me. So, in other words, unless you dress like me, unless you think like me, unless you do what I do, it's not good enough. That's legalism. Paul was never like that. Paul and Jesus wasn't like that. What did Jesus and Paul do? They lived with people. They got to know them personally. They ate with them. They talked with them. They lived with them. Who was it that accused Jesus of being unacceptably involved with sinful people? Was it the sinful people? No, it wasn't. It was the religious types. It was was the Pharisees. It was the holy ones. Don't be involved with those people. Don't engage with them. Don't touch them. Don't eat with them. Paul wasn't like that either. He engaged with his culture, and in his culture he made a difference without compromising the gospel. We need to become culturally flexible if we're going to reach the gospel, uh, the people with the gospel of Jesus. Secondly, this is my introduction. <laughs> I said, I will promise you, I'll do it in half an hour. So I've only done, I've done ten minutes so far. Second, um, if we're going to be effective in communicating the gospel, we, we need to be, learn to be transparent. Notice Paul says in verse 12, he says, I became like you. He also says, become like me. Don't you think that's an amazing thing for anyone to say? Become like me. Well, I think that comes from this simple thing that he's been so consistent in his life. He's been so open with his heart. People have seen him in good days and bad days that he can invite the Galatians to imitate him and become like him. And I want to remind you as as my friends this morning that I've been thinking about this, that often our words are not sufficient to convince people, and sometimes they are not even the most important thing that convinces people about the truth of Jesus. I think this, it's as people look into our hearts, they look into our lives, they see how we handle difficulties, they see how we handle trouble, they see how we handle interruptions when things get in the way, they see how we handle disappointments, how we conduct our relationships with each other and outside of the church, that they can see how real Jesus is in our lives and how much the gospel is affecting us. That's what really counts. And so I've I've found that people generally find faith through relationship with other people relationships that are honest, relationships that are joyful, even if those people are flawed. That's how they find faith. In other words, I'm saying to you that people are not one to Jesus through arguments. Don't engage in arguments. They never produce anything. They just produce fighting. Don't try and convince someone in their head about atheism. 
Pray, love them. People are not saved by reading books generally. Some are, not generally. What people are saved by is the lives of loving Christians that influence them. That's what convinces them in the end. Love wins. Love convinces. When you accept someone and love them. And so I don't think that Paul is being arrogant here. If he had said, become like me, without first having said, I have become like you, he would have been been arrogant. But he's not. He's urging them. He's not urging them to be as right as he is. He's not urging them to, to agree with everything. He's saying, I want you to be as joyful as I am. I want you to be as free as I am. That's where he's coming from. So when he says, become like me, he's saying, I'm living joyful, I'm living free. Become like me, joyful, free. Not perfect, not always right, but free and joyful. That's what I want for you. And so this is why he appeals to the church. And so the title of my, 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 of my message is um, No Turning Back. No Turning Back. I could have called it Joy is at Stake, but I've called it No Turning Back. And so let's look at those verses in detail. And I want to say three things. Simply this. Part of being joyfully free means not forgetting like it was like what, what it was like before we knew Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to say to them. Don't forget what it was like for you before you knew Jesus. Christians forget so quickly of what it was like before they knew Christ. And what does Paul say in the first verse that we read? He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that are by nature not God's. He says you were slaves before you knew Jesus. You were slaves to sin. You were slaves to unrighteousness. And here in this very simple little one sentence, Paul takes on and dismisses something outright that is held in high regard by our culture. And it's this. And it's also the Bible, the Bible does the same thing. Paul and the Bible do not hold to the view that all religions are basically the same. And that there are just different ways, equal ways, to get to God. Paul says no. The Bible says no. What the Bible teaches and what, what Paul teaches is that God our Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus is the only true God. And all other gods are idols. They don't give you any personal knowledge of God at all. Let me say it another way. You can find no true knowledge, personal knowledge of God, in any, any other religion of the world. This is what the Bible says. And I've said it already. All religions in the world are tyrannical, including legalistic versions of Christianity. Why? Because legalistic versions of Christianity nullify the grace of God in your life. And they basically teach that you are saved by what you do, by your work, by living morally, by doing the right thing. That's what saves you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we are saved by faith in Jesus. And when we are free on the inside, you've heard me say it so many times, when we are free on the inside, the automatic outflow of that is we live differently on the outside. When you are bound up on the inside by this anxiety that you're not doing the right thing, you are never free. You're always anxious. That's not the gospel. That's not the joy that has, the, the joy that God 
has for us. And so Paul is saying in this little statement that actually the gods of this world are not divine. They have no divinity. They are best human idols made by people's hands, uh, carvings or man-made ideas. At worst, they are demons. At worst, they are spiritual beings that hold us in bondage to sin. And they hold us in, in, in uh, impurity. They hold us in darkness. And Paul is saying, Galatians, and he's saying to us, remember that's what it was like for you before you came to faith. Before Jesus found you, that's how it was for you. You were a slave. So don't forget it was like. And I want to put it to you. If you want to keep your joy, remind yourself daily of what it was like before you knew Jesus. Not in a kind of horrible way, but just, God, I'm so glad that I'm here now. Thank you for saving me. We had a great holiday, as you know. Um, It went away. It was great to go to a place that was very, very beautiful, eat great food, wonderful. But you know, now that we're back here, we're just saying to God, thank you that you brought us here. I don't ever go back. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done in my life. It's good to remind yourself what God's done for you. Helps you to keep your joy. Yes? Paul's saying, don't lose your joy. I want you to be as joyful as I am. The first way we remind ourselves how... Uh, um, uh, 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 keeping our joys to remind ourselves what it was like before we knew Jesus and how we know him and things are completely different. Secondly, part of joyful freedom means that we don't forget the great mercy of God in that he saved us. I love this verse. It says, uh, verse, what is it? Verse 9. But now that you've come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. It's a beautiful phrase because Paul is reminding them not just that this great change is coming to their lives. Paul's reminding the Galatians in the whole of the letter, what did he remind them? He said in chapter 3, Jesus was clearly portrayed to you, placarded. Remember the word is placarded? Jesus was lifted up like a giant billboard in your life and you saw him and you saw the cross of Christ and when you saw the cross of Christ you came to faith and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon you and you experienced great blessing. These are all the things that um, Paul has reminded them of and that's a brilliant picture to us of what the Christian faith really is. It always begins with the preaching of the cross. The Christian faith always begins with the lifting up of Jesus. Lifting up the cross of Christ. That's what we place our our, um, our trust in. And then we receive the blessing of God as we simply just continue by faith to believe the promises of God for our lives. That's That's what the Christian faith is. And the heart of conversion is that, in fact, that as we know Jesus, we can know God. As we know Jesus, we have seen the Father. The only way to the Father is through His Son. And these things are magnificent, says Paul. That's what he's been trying to say to these guys in the first four chapters. But now he says something which is even more profound. He says, not only is all of that true, and that's magnificent that it is true, but this is also true that God knew you first. God knew you first. Not only that you have known God, but that God first knew you. Man, that's incredible. He's saying that God chose us. God knew us before we were saved. It's true that God knows everyone, but he sets his heart, he sets his loving knowledge on his people in a deeper way. And what I'm trying to say is this, that none of us would ever have believed in Jesus 
if God did not draw us all by His grace, by His kindness, by wooing us towards Himself, none of us would have known Him. None of us were looking for Him. That's what the Bible says, Psalms. None of you were even looking for God. And yet He in His kindness, He found you. And He reached into your life. And He transformed your past and your present and your future. That's the kindness of God to all of us, His loving grace. And so Paul says, remember that. Remember the mercy of God when He converted you. Remember what it was like before Him. Remember the mercy of God in your conversion. That will help you to keep your joy. And the third thing that I want to say, and I am finished, is this. If you ever go back to religious living, you will lose your joy. I've said it already. I'm I'm finishing with this. Paul says it. He says, Now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, the the thing we've just spoken about, how can you turn back again to weak and worthless principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Think, don't go back to religion. Don't be convinced by these guys that say, actually, you really have to to live by rules and regulations. Unless you just think that I'm picking on the, um, the early church. I'm not. I'm picking on us. Paul was absolutely horrified. He was saying to the people, I want you to be joyfully free. I want you to be like me. And I don't want you to do anything that enslaves you again. And you might think, well, what a... He picks on this thing of holy days. He says... You know, there's these super spiritual types in the church, and they're saying, you must observe holy days. And Paul says, if you, if you say what days are more special than other days, you're going back to religion. How can you observe religion? How can you observe and say, this season of fasting is more, is more um, meaningful than any other season? And we do still do that in the church. The church is full of legalistic religiosity. And it's a passion of mine to help us to be free in Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, there are all sorts of unspoken rules or implied expectations that are put on people and can be put on people in church. For example, rules about what you can wear, rules about where you can go or where you can't go, you know, don't go to that kind of place, rules about um, what you can eat and drink, You see, at its heart, legalistic religion and legalistic Christianity tries to control every detail of your life. That's what legalism does. It tries to control every detail. Can I say this kindly? I don't care what you wear. I'm not your mother. I'm not your mum. You wear what you want to wear. You cut your hair like you want to cut your hair. Live free. And you might say that's, that's a, a silly example. It's not a silly example. All over the world, still in the 21st century, people are in churches where people say, ladies, you have to have your hair like this. You will cover your hair. You will wear your dress to here. Men, you will, you will wear a hat. Uh, you think I'm joking? I'm not joking. Churches are full of things like that. This is not freedom. This is religion. Let's not put that on each other. Okay? We are free in Christ. You dress how you want as long as you don't cause anyone else to stumble. I think that's a wise thing to say. But be free. Eat what you want. 
Don't get drunk if you drink. Don't get drunk. That's not godly. Don't poke fun of people that get drunk either. That's not godly either. But live free. And so, any kind of religion brings us into bondage and tries to control every detail of our lives. And you see, the sad truth is also in the church that there are Christians that turn the gospel into a really heavy thing. And so they put on you, unless you attend every conference, unless you attend every meeting, you're not a good Christian. Unless you come to all the prayer times, you're not a good Christian. Have you ever lived under that? I've lived under that. I know exactly what it's like. Well, it is good to pray. (laughs) It is good to be encouraged. It's good when the church comes together in some kind of crisis to fast and to say, God, we're trusting for you, uh, you for this thing that we need breakthrough on. But you can't put that onto people. That's just control. Nothing good comes from control. We are free from all of that in the gospel. Am I ranting this morning? You see, what Paul is really saying in this portion, he's saying this, if you live like that, if you allow those expectations to determine how you live, Paul is saying you really haven't understood what the gospel is. You don't really yet understand the gospel. And that's why he says in verse 11, I'm afraid that I've worked hard in vain. I've labored to see Christ formed in you, but you're still thinking that these things are really important. You're still thinking, if I don't observe this day, if I, don't, if I dress like this, if I eat this food, God is going to be displeased with me. He's saying, actually, if you're living like that, you still yet have not understood the gospel. I want you to be free. And so my job, and our job of each other, is to remind ourselves of these things. None of us, can I just say, none of us, me and you, should be struggling to live up to any system of laws, any rules, even if it's rules that we put on ourselves. <laughs> yeah, None of us should be struggling with that. And no church should be putting a burden on its people and demanding attendance at this thing or that thing or this day is more holy or that day is more holy than the next. Why? Because the scripture is quite clear. Godliness is not about those things. Godliness is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what godliness is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I want to say, and this is dangerous for me to say in some ways, because I am a preacher, because I lead a church. (laughs) But this is the gospel. Anything that puts a burden on you, Anything that puts a burden on you, anything that brings fear into your life, anything that spreads guilt in your life, is not the gospel. It's not. Including church life. If you've come from a church that's put stuff on you, I'm sorry. I really am sorry that you've had that kind of experience of Christianity. Because it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus. All I can do is say we are endeavoring in this church, not that we've got everything right, but we're trying to live free. We're trying to live as people that believe the gospel of Jesus. We're trying to keep each other free. We're trying to encourage each other in our walk with God. It really is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul appeals to these people, and I'm appealing to you as well. Don't become a slave. 
the, sla- the, the place where the battle is most rages is in our minds, isn't it? And we have to do warfare in our minds and take captive every thought that would bring guilt upon us, would, would, would bring um, a sense of slavery in our minds. No, we are not slaves. We are free in Jesus because of the gospel of Jesus. So don't go back to these things. Don't go back to that kind of thinking. Your joy is at stake. The freedom of the gospel is at stake. The stakes are high. Let's not go there. And I've said this again. I mean, I've said this before. I want to say it again. As we learn to walk by the Holy Spirit, there's no guilt, there's no fear, there's no intimidation. As we learn to use our time wisely and we start to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will experience love, power, and a sound mind. A sound mind. Don't you think our culture has not got a sound mind? Our culture is weird. <laughs> our culture does stuff all the time that you think, how's that possible that people will think like that or behave like that? Why? Because people don't have a sound mind. You don't have a sound mind when you're motivated on the inside by fear and anxiety and guilt and a sense of not doing the right thing. What happens? You don't make good decisions. Your mind is not sound. We're not called to walk like that by the Holy Spirit. He will give us a sound mind as we follow His leading and will be full of love and kindness and patience as He leads us. So I want to say to you this morning, as we finish, I want to pray for us as a church that the Holy Spirit would empower us to identify and throw off every form of legalism in our lives, that we would be free. And I'm not asking you to do that for somebody else. This is not a license to go around and say, oh, Joel, you're being legalistic about that thing. Let me just put it around your life. Or Helen, oh, no, that's legalism, Helen. That's legalism. Deal with that. No, I'm asking us under the power of the Holy Spirit to say, Jesus, in my life, in me, what still needs to change? Where is there still fear? Where am I not trusting you? Where have I strayed from the, the freedom of your gospel in my own life? Help me to see, and I want to change. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Stand, and we're going to pray. And we are finished. We're going to have some coffee. Father, thank you for the joy that we have in you. I thank you for the joy of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that you've come, that we might be free and free in Christ. And so, Lord, I just want to thank you for this wonderful community of believers, these, these people that you are gathering. Lord, we thank you that you've set us free in Jesus. We thank you for the joy of our salvation. We thank you for what that means. And I ask you, Lord, now, for my friends, every single one of us here, and those that are not here this morning, that are still away and leave and holiday, Lord, that you would show us, as we move into this new year, any, any area in our lives that is still under fear, any area of our lives that's still under subtle kind of bondage, whether it's been put on us by our own thinking, whether it's been put on us by other people, whether it's been put on us by a church in our, in our, in our past. God, we want to ask that you'd show us those things, that we might repent of them and trust you for the full freedom that you want to bring into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that joy is our prize, that joy is our inheritance. And I pray, Lord, that wherever there is anxiety, wherever there is guilt, wherever there is is a, a sense of being pushed in on by any kind of thinking, we pray, Lord, by your power of your Spirit that you'd set us free from it, that we might be free in Jesus. 
And Lord, we, 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 we know it's only a work of your Spirit. We don't want to anxiously be thinking certain things. We want the power of your Spirit to transform us. And so we simply pray as your people that you'd show us, that you'd lead us, that we might be those that know what it means to walk by your Spirit and to enjoy righteousness and peace of the Holy Spirit in us. And we trust you by the, in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.